Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Athena will give you a great home loan and help you get rid of it. Master Builders Victoria members get access to a wide range of expert advice and support services. Dwayne's World with Dwayne Russell. Hello and welcome to Dwayne's World. Great to have your company wherever you might be listening. Dwayne's World for Master Builders Victoria. Get expert legal advice. Become a Master Builders Victoria member today. And we're here for Athena Home Loans. Pay down your home loan faster with Athena. It's been Dave Madness time. The Werribee Kia open line is open. one 736 Kia awarded National Kia Car Dealer of the Year. Werribee Kia makes buying cars easy. So midday Madness, your calls for the next couple of hours. Send through your texts as well. The 40 Winks Temper Text Machine 0433 98 11 16. Get your unique bed match profile and find the right bed for you. 40 Winks, serious about sleep. Got a couple of big names on the program a little bit later on to join me. Neil Barnes going to join us from the Tigers. They're sticking with Nankervis and Grimes as their captains again. We'll talk to Neil Barnes about all things footy. Always look forward to doing that. Leonard Copeland's going to join me to talk some basketball. Sydney Kings prevailed last night over Cairns. Heaps of other stuff to get with Leonard as well. Michael Kasperowitz is going to join us from Delhi. And a heap to give away again today for Midday Madness for Melbourne Roadside Rescue. Summit, uh, welcome to you, Summit. Dandy Nong North, uh, you're a regular and great to have you back. Good, Dwayne. How you doing? Good, thank you. What do you got for us? Uh, Dwayne, uh, just wondering uh, regarding the test match tomorrow, what the Aussie team's going to be. Um, all the information that we've been getting uh, looks like, you know, Mitch Stark um, definitely will play. And if... Uh, Green is fit as well, then he might play whether he's going to bowl or not. We don't know. Now, um, obviously, Stark will play instead of Boland, but uh, with Green, I reckon, and if Head also comes in, um, I reckon um, uh, I reckon Renshaw might be out and uh, Peter Hansker might be out as well. Um, what's your intel? Well, my intel is that Green won't play, but Stark will. Uh, let you let me play a little bit of Mitch Stark firstly, talking about how ready he is. And then I'll play Alan Border. He's suggesting we go with Quicks. So it's an interesting thought by Alan Border. He dropped Todd Murphy, Summer. Can you believe that? He'd rather play Lyon than Murphy, and he was even talking about dropping Todd Murphy. Uh, that will create another storm if Todd Murphy's out, I believe. I mean, you know, if you need to drop someone, uh, which I don't think you should be dropping anyone in the bowling lineup except Boland if, you know, Mitch Starr comes in. Um, Head definitely should be selected in place of either Renshaw or Hanscom. But if Green doesn't play, uh, they might keep, uh, what do you reckon, Renshaw or Hanscom? I mean, Hanscom did all right, uh, Renshaw... Um, Definitely did not score, but then, you know, Head might come in for Renshaw and then Hanscom will keep his spot even if Green is out. And then they'll go with two, uh, what you call it, you know, two fast bowlers. Maybe Head yeah. can uh, chip in as well as a bowler, so they'll have. But all the three off spinners, um, you know, we need to have a variety as well. And then maybe, you know, 
Aston Eagle, Kuhneman might come in uh, for one of the bowlers. I don't know, man. It's 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 a big headache, you know. We, it's so many permutations and combinations that we can think of. Uh, I don't know how the selectors are going about it. Yeah, Summer, we took an hour and a half of calls on it yesterday. What's the 11 going to be? I like to default to some of our experts on this. So firstly, let me play what Ian Healy had to say about Travis Head eventually being our opener. So if that's the direction that we're going, then Travis Head is our opener, then you might as well put him in now as an opener and open instead of Warner in my eyes. It's not going to happen. But firstly, here's Ian Healy on the long-term future of Travis Head as an opener. I think he'll be our opener. Uh, you know, before before long, he'll replace one of Kawaja and Warner. Whoever goes first, they might both go at the same time. Mm. But and Travis Head will be our Australian cricket opener. You yeah. can hear it on this again. Possibly captain, right? This no. Travis Head. Yeah. Who's our next captain? Right. So Manus? No. Well, I don't think Manus is a captaincy type, but the, maybe there's there's one that's going to be in the mix. Mm. And Travis Head, he, he captain South Australia since he's 21, and we're, we're mucking him around at a time where we need to be really revving him up. Mm. So there you go. There's one expert, Travis Head, an opener, and the future captain. Here's another expert, another one of our all-time greats, Alan Border, saying that he dropped Todd Murphy, keep Lyon, and go with three quicks. I mean, that's the million-dollar question. You've got to go with Lyon. Um, you know, he, he's brought up enough uh, brownie points, hasn't he, uh, over the years to be the first picked, uh, you know, well done to young Murphy and it'd be, you know, <laughs> a, 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 a tough decision to leave him out. But, look, I, I know the wicket's going to turn, um, but I just reckon the formula for, that for us to be successful, three quickies, the one spinner, um, you know, re- really work hard on your field uh, positions, you know, where you think you might be getting them out, uh, etc. you know, short catches, you know, couple of, you know, mid-wicket, you know, just bowl stump to stump and just be relentless, you know, and that sort of uh, tactic. I think that's going to work better for us than trying to beat them with spin. And um, we've tried that forever and ever and it hasn't worked. So, you know, that formula, I think, is, to me, just not working. We need to go back to what does work, and that's with our quickies. It, so, it was yeah, a false summer for us. Mur- Murphy finished, yeah. So there you go, Alan Burda bought it, so unfortunately Murphy finished. I like the idea of going back to our strength as well. Uh, our spinners aren't as good as their spinners, so is it a good idea to just stick with spin? Well, it sounds like that's what we're going to do, but I like the idea of going back to our strength, which is the quicks, and in theory, if there's cracks, um, then maybe the quicks can get as much movement out of the pitch as the spinners do, even though the cracks are going to be obviously more centred and the spinners are going to try for the foot marks outside off and outside leg. So, yeah, it's a crazy world we're living in when, you know, I've got so many different people with so many different opinions as to who the side should be. Here's Mitch Stark. You asked the question, Summit, would Mitch Stark come in? Well, let's hear from the man himself on his progress from yesterday. There's still a fair bit of restriction there. Um, I mean, it's progressing each day. I probably had different expectations coming straight out of the splint and then what, what is the reality. But, um, yeah, push it again today and, and see where we get to by the end of... Um, I'll get, we'll see how it goes when it wakes up tomorrow. But, um, yeah, it is it is still progressing. It's um, I guess it's still on track. We'll see how it goes today. What chance do you give yourself of playing this week? Still, still, still a good chance. Um, yeah, it'll, it'll come down to how it, how it reacts by the end of the day, um, how the medical staff see it, how the selectors and, and Pat and Ronnie 
feel about it as well. So um, I'll do everything I can to be available, fully available for selection. It's then obviously discussion for, for the rest of the groups involved. Is batting an issue at all? No, no. Oh, I don't think so. Um, it's going to be uncomfortable, but it's not... It's not um, I don't think it's an issue. No. Fielding, I'll probably end up still fielding with a cap on, so um, that's that's what I did in Melbourne anyway, so that, that'll probably be, be the same situation. Mick Stark giving us the latest on his progress. Thanks for kicking us off, Summit. Hopefully that answers a few of your questions, even though it probably puts more grey area on it. Mick in Atwood, thanks for holding it. Mick, what of the program. Great to have you on. Good on you, Dwayne. I'll assume you're going well, mate, so I won't ask. Um, <laughs> just on the, uh, uh, all the controversy and you know, chaos about test preparation, especially in India, a very simple way of doing it and based on the same formula as the neutral umpires around the world to stop any home team bias, is why wouldn't the ICC fly neutral curators to grounds um, to get you know, the wickets prepared with the over, with the match referee overseeing. Like blokes like David Boone played a hundred plus tests, would know what kind of deck they're looking at, what's prepared and what's not. With the neutral curators, it takes out all the anxiety, all the controversy, all the accusations of cheating or bias or whatever. Mick, was the pitch that big a problem in the end? I mean there was a crazy overreaction to a photo. And people no, went wild. Oh, no. you got to ring, ring the ICC. There was, the pitch wasn't the reason we lost, was it? And it's an Indian no, pitch. No, it I mean, it takes it turn. Right. Yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't the reason, Dwayne. But there's always going to be, especially uh, over in the Asian continent, there's always going to be those dispersions cast. And the one way to take it out and just make it a non-topic is to have. I mean, nobody winces about hometown bias umpiring anymore. There used to be a, a big shadow cast over home country umpires. They don't do it anymore, and it's not even a topic. It's not a discussion. Yeah, we had Paul there. Rifle umpiring here in the summer. We did have Paul Rifle umpiring here in the test summer. Yeah, that, that, that's probably a bit because of COVID too. They, they relax, but they do have a neutral umpire there as well. And they have the, yeah. the match referee overseeing. And these guys are experienced test cricketers, most of them, but they're all experienced cricket people. The, the match referees, so they know what's right and what's wrong. And if you've got neutral curators, even a, a neutral head curator, you don't have to send a whole team overseeing it and just have the labourers under him with the match referee overseeing it, it doesn't become an issue anymore. It's not a topic. Nobody can cast aspersions mm. um, and that sort of stuff. Well, Mick, I'll, I'll, I'll agree to disagree with you, Mick. I don't think it is a topic. I don't think it is. I mean, the people that cast aspersions before the first test, you know, jumped the gun. They jumped at the shadow. And Australia's selectors jumped to the shadow. And we should have actually not jumped to the shadow and picked the team that was the best team, and that was with the guy who was in the best form, Travis Head, batting at five where he should have been batting. Oh, no, I don't think it is an issue. And if you're going to have neutral pitch um, curators, you've got to do it all the way around the world. You can't just have it in one particular country. How long before the test actually gets played do you do it? Do you send them over two months before, three months before? Do you have to have a, a neutral guy there all year round because you're going to play test cricket against various countries all year round. Yeah, Mick, I'll agree to disagree with you. You can have the last say on it. We've got a Signet Boost power bank coming your way, valued at $59.95. Signet Boost power banks will keep your phone, tablet and earbuds powered 24-7. To me, I think it was the biggest overreaction that I've seen for the whole summer. This one photo of a pitch, let's go crazy. Uh, they, they're trying to beat us. They made 400 on it, so surely we can make 300 and 350. 
No, I agree with you. I got I got sick of hearing about it, to be honest with you. But I just thought this might be one way just to knock it out of the arena. No, fair enough, Mick. I hope your day's well. Hold the line. I've got something for you. That signal to boost power bank. one three hundred seven three six seven three six. If you've got a thought on all of this, and we'll take your calls. Some footy later on. Neil Barnes going to join me. One other thing that's been floating around. There's got to be mass change at AFL level. Gil McLaughlin's about to depart as CEO. Been there since 2014, Gil. The same year that Andrew Demetrio stepped down and the AFL Charter was drawn up by the AFL Charter for the Laws of the Games Committee, a group led by Mark Evans, to set in stone the core principles of football that must be retained forever. So the Charter was locked in. A set of concrete things like uh, the game must be played with an oval-shaped ball, must be played on an oval-shaped ground, must have 18 on the field per team. So the Charter rules set in stone didn't give Steve Hocking or anyone the opportunity to visit 16 per team because the Charter said it has to be 18 and that was locked in stone. Uh, Must be four quarters, uh, must be six points for a goal. All those kind of things were locked in by the Charter. But it's 10 years old now and the Charter's been around since Gil McLaughlin stepped in. We're about to see a new person take over from Gil. When we, got, when we had the charter handed to us 10 years ago, we were told this is set in stone until we'll probably visit it in 10 years' time. Well, it's revisit time. There's a new head of footy at the AFL also to be appointed, replacing Brad Scott, who half replaced Steve Hocking. It's an interesting change. The, the other things the charter set in stone, and I'll, it'll be interesting to get your thoughts on this, one three hundred seven three six seven three six. The other things the charter sought to protect 10 years ago when they drew the charter up for the first time, must be a game played by all sizes. So when you consider a last touch out of bounds rule, does that does a heap less throw-ins mean that Ruckman might be devalued? So the charter sets in stone, it must be played by all sizes. You have to, when you think of a rule change, consider the fact, does that affect one particular size player or not? The direction of ball movement was locked in for the charter, must be all directions. So bringing in a rule where you can't kick backwards was always going to be contentious because it's probably against the charter. The Charter didn't lock in the centre bounce as a must. So tossing it in the air, the restart was okay. The bounce not protected. Uh, In-play zones was protected by the Charter. The Charter said few restrictions on where players can be located across the ground. So 6-6-6 and at ball-ups was okay for centre bounces because we already had a restriction at that time for four only allowed in the centre for centre bounces. So that was locked in in stone anyway. One three hundred seven three six seven three six. Been ten years since the charter for Australian rules. Gill's about to go. New CEO coming in. New head of footy. The, there's a couple of other things the 2014 charter did lock in that I want to discuss with you. One is that it must remain a kicking dominant game, and we did evolve to a period where handball threatened to overtake kicking as the number one delivery mode. And the high mark, the spectacular high mark, as it's written in the charter, must be retained. And that's a threat right now because of an evolution of the game. But the Charter, if they get the Charter revisited now that it's 10 years old, there's a major issue they've got to address with the high marking of the game because that is evolving out and it's against what the Charter wants to stay in. Talk to you more about that shortly. But David Melton's on the line, wants to talk more about the cricket. Welcome to you, Dave. G'day, mate. How are you? Good, thanks. Yeah, I just want to say it serves them right. Like... You've got a player like Lyon, this, his career should have been over two years ago, and you've got this young bloke, Zampa, who's killing it in the T20. Why didn't he start getting picked two years ago? You've got players like Maxwell who could have played two, three years ago, could have brought him into the test side. 
There's so many great young cricketers in this country, but this thing they got going in New South Wales, it's just been like this forever. And absolutely, it goes all the way back to Brad Hodges. He makes 200 and can't get another test game. Like, how long is this going to go on for? Yeah, well, the argument is there's not enough red ball cricket or Zampa didn't play enough red ball cricket to actually put his name up uh, in lights enough to get selected. So that's the other issue there. It's the amount of red ball cricket and the amount of red ball cricket you choose to play as opposed to T20 cricket. And the short-form cricket around the game is a big lure to players who obviously do this as a job these days, not just for fun. They'd love a baggy green, yeah, but they do want to actually earn a living out of it, Dave. Yeah, I know, but... When you're talking about Australian Test cricket for the country, why isn't Zampa in that side? He's the best spinner in the country. Don't worry about this other stuff they're talking about. A cricketer is a cricketer. You've got young Harris has come in and out of the side. You've got other players around the country, especially in WA. They've got some great cricketers down there. Why aren't these blokes getting inside? It's because of that contract stuff they started, which has stuffed the team up all together. And players do become... Appreciate your call, Dave. Appreciate your call, Dave, uh, and it has fired a few people up. I mean, I thought, is Zampa a better spinner than Swepson? Well, in a lot of people's eyes, he is. Rob in Preston, what can you hear, Rob? Uh, good afternoon, Dwayne. I've just got a point on the toss. I think uh, there shouldn't be a toss. I think the, the away team should decide if they battle bowl, and that'll force you know, the curators to have a neutral pitch. So then it's, if, let's say, for example, Australia, if we lose, well, we had the toss and there's no complaints. So that's a simple fix. And the other one for AFL, any shot for goal, we should use the magic spray. So therefore, anyone you know, on the man on the mark can move sideways. And then you've got the line to prevent them from going over the line. And there's a bit of movement, a bit of uh, roo-ha-ha-ha, trying to prevent the guy kicking a goal. So there's possible two rules for you that could be changed. Thanks for your call, Rob. I'm not looking to change rules, but the only reason I'm talking about this is because it is now 10 years and I think they, with a new CEO and a new head of football, might actually revisit the charter now that it's due to be revisited. It's 10 years old. And one of the things, as I mentioned, the charter demanded free-flowing football. That was in the charter to demand free-flowing football to be encouraged and stop-start football discouraged. So that's one of the reasons Steve Hocking stuck to this charter and actually made free-flowing football a priority to bring back again. The Charter also set in stone and demanded that we protect the high mark, and the high mark remain a feature. So spectacular high marking, as it's actually quoted in the document, to be forever part of the game, which is why they demanded when they wrote up the Charter that kicking be the dominant ball movement method, because more handball means less kicks, and less kicks means less high marks. The problem we've got now, and if it does get revisited, the problem we've got now is that even though it's still 1.5 kicks to one handball right now, and it used to be way back, used to be three kicks to every handball, and it got back to one to one at one stage about 20 years ago, it's still 1.5 kicks to one handball, less than two kicks to one handball that it was you know, 15, 20 years ago. The kicks are evolving to mainly be short passes, and you don't get high marks from short passes. So if the new CEO does decide to revisit this 10-year-old document now that it's due for its anniversary, that would be one thing they'd have to revisit, I'd think. How do you get more long kicks? Because the evolution is we're now getting too many short kicks. You get about 80 to 90 long kicks compared to 60 short kicks in the modern game. And that has caused the high mark to evolve out. 
Thoughts on that? one 736 that should be locked in stone if they revisit this charter. Prepare your calls and your texts for Midday Madness, one 736 Jump on the line, we'll take your calls for the next hour and a half. You... Special guest coming up later on, Neil Barn to join us after two, Leonard Copeland, Michael Kasselwitz will join us from Delhi. But your calls on that open line, one 736 right now. Mike and Geelong, I know you're on the line. I want to read a few texts before we get back to the calls, though. Um, hi, Dwayne. Uh, it's been a long time since Border played. Selectors won't pay attention to outside noise. George from Blackie South. I don't think they'll drop Todd Murphy either. But at least AB was giving us his opinion. He'd go with Quicks and one spinner. And he said the one spinner that he would pick would be Nathan Lyon. And that means Todd Murphy would miss out. Um, hi, Dwayne. Do the charter rules apply to both the men's and women's game? Paul. Well, no, because the charter rules obviously were drawn up long before the women's game came in. The charter rules were drawn up 10 years ago. They're 10 years old. And that's one of the reasons, the other reasons why we probably are due to have them revisited. And a new CEO and a new football ops manager might revisit the charter and work out where the game should be going for the next 10 years. Uh, Zampa hasn't made himself available for red ball cricket until recently. People just don't seem to understand that's the major reason why he's not in. Uh, another here on the text on the charter. Aiden aside was added to the charter to protect the wing positions. It's not those that have to go. It's a forward and back pocket. That's a 5-6-5 five, five starting position. The game doesn't need four forward pockets and four back pockets. There's your excuse. A player's causing congestion and making zones too hard to get through. Uh, thanks for that. And maybe it would cause more long kicks because I think that's the issue that's evolving into the game that if you did get a committee together to look at it, you'd have to think about. Why is there less high marks? How do we get more high marks back? Maybe we need more long kicking back. Uh, charters and constitutions get changed all the time to move with the times and unforeseen circumstances. Uh, you're right, this one was drawn up before women's footy was even a thing at the top level in Australia. Hi, Dwayne, the idea of playing quicks has merit, history. Think about Lily, McGrath, Marshall, Hadley, bowled straight on dry, low wickets and was successful. Plenty of LBWs as well. Paul, and you're spot on about the LBWs. You can't allow them to... I mean, in Australia, the leave is such a big thing, even when it's online, because it's going to go over. Um, there's not a lot bouncing over the stumps in India right now. Uh, marks from short kicks only paid for kicks 20 metres or over. That could... Well, that's going to force more longer kicks if you do it that way. I agree with that. Three quicks in India. Uh, what is he talking about? They will eat us alive like they did against the quicks in the first test. How could you drop Todd after that performance? Green plays with two quicks and two spinners. Uh, A, B is a joke. What brownie points? Why do we pick favourites? Dwayne, tell me, please. A, B was having a crack about being soft, and he wants people to get picked on brownie points so we don't upset someone. Um, what a horrible process. Thanks for your text. So many texts coming through. Keep them coming. 0433981116 on the 40 Winks. Temper text. Get your unique bed match profile and find the right bed for you. 40 Winks. Serious about sleep. Mike and Geelong, sorry for making you hold so long as we head back to your calls. No worries, Dwayne. Thanks for taking my call, though. Um, I just want to just change subject just slightly. Just um, went down and watched Melbourne Storm last Sunday and just wanted to give them a big pump up. Even though they were running around with their second sort of team, they took every... Well, as far as I could tell, majority of players went down even injured, doing photographs and autographs um, for all the supporters down there. And then you sort of... Um, look at another new team like the Dolphins coming in with Wayne Bennett not even bothering showing up for his team's first real hit out. 
and you just see why they're such a big club or a successful club, and it was great to see. Did you see Joel Selwood down there at all, Mike? I think he came up on the screen a little bit. So there was, a, I think there was a couple of cats and storm sort of supporters that gave him a bit of a roundup. So yeah, it was <laughs> it was really good to sort of get a just to see how they went about it, and it was yeah, it was a great day. Great to have a pump up for the storm, Mike. Hold the line. We've got something for you. We've got a Brick Lane Brewing voucher. Head back to your calls and texts. A couple of texts coming through. Boland um, bowled beautifully, stump to stump in the first test, and didn't look like getting a wicket. Uh, another one here, Zampa, hasn't made himself available for red ball cricket uh, enough recently. We've had a few of those come through. Um, hi, Dwayne. With the toss, have a toss for the first test and then rotate after that. Your thoughts on that, Paul? Yeah, I'm not sure you want a situation opening up where the curators know who's batting first in the second test and then know who's batting first in the third test. Uh, I'd rather the unknown. So when you get to the test, you would still it's still a, a decision that has to be made that is a doubt as to whether you should bat or bowl first. Most times, captains elect to bat first anyway. But I would not like to get to a test knowing whether it's going to be better to bat on or bowl on and have a pitch that all of a sudden is prepared nicely, accidentally, for the home team who's got that next option themselves. Um, not your line bowls the right lines for India. Kumble, Ashwin, O'Keefe, Jadeja, and even Murphy attack the front pad and stumps every ball. Johnny Mentone, thanks for that. Uh, instead of making all these changes to the game, we must have a proper in-depth discussion about interchange rotation. Problems getting back to players on and medi-sub use. Uh, our game has become a 22v22 game. Once a team has a couple of injuries, it becomes unfair with rotations. Get rid of it. Let's go back to 18v18 and have four on the bench with only three subs allowed. But unfortunately, the charter that was drawn up 10 years ago, that's now 10 years old, stipulated only that it must be 18 on the field at all times. They didn't stipulate what the bench looks like. So according to the charter, you could end up having 30 players in your team in 15 years' time uh, because the bench number isn't fixed. Uh, AB, a uh, few coming through saying that AB uh, doesn't know what he's talking about. He's a pretty astute judge. Dwayne, high marking has reduced because most players aren't as good at taking them. A spilled mark equals a possible turnover and a seat on the bench. It has nothing to do with the kick-handle ratio. You can't litigate the game to enhance high marking. Pete in Werribee. Well, they have made rules to make free-flowing football, which is part of the charter, back again as a major part of the game. There is more flow in games these days, and there's been complaints from people, I don't like flow, that's not the game I want, I don't mind stop-start. Well, the charter locked in 10 years ago, said that free flow had to be preferred and rules had to be brought in to protect free flow against stop-start. Um, I always try to throw in a left-brainer, Duano. How about a goal scored from a marked kick? Kick from outside the 50-metre zone gets seven points. Um, thanks for that, Ash. But the charter says that goals must always be six points, so I can't see them ever revisiting that one. Uh, a couple of other tests coming through on the umpire in the four-umpire system. I know there's been a, a big hoo-ha on this station on the four umpires. Uh, yeah, by all means, give us a call if you've got a thought on the umpiring as well. I know that Kane Corns has weighed in and a few other people have weighed in. I've got a different view of the AFL's four-umpire system that's about to come in to most. Obviously, I've been a player and I've been doing talkback radio for over 20 years. So in my experience, one thing that is guaranteed every year, at least if it comes a year, is fans will whinge, coaches will whinge about umpiring. Telling you 
that fans will whinge, hate, get frustrated by the four-umpire system this season is like telling you the sun will rise tomorrow. It happens every year, and it'll happen again this year, and it'll be the four-umpire system that gets blamed, but it'll be the same complaints. It's just umpiring. Even when the little old ladies used to reach over the fence to hit the umpire with their umbrella, complaining about the umpire in the old one-umpire system days, the umpires were criticised. They were no good back then. They were abused. They were called maggots and all these different kinds of things. They made mistakes then. So whether it's a one-umpire system, two-umpire system, three-umpire system or a four-umpire system, it'll happen. It'll happen again with a four-umpire system. And for 16 years, Jaron Healy and I, we could have begun Sports Day with the weekend's bad umpiring decisions as the main issue from the round and sat back and watched the talkback lines blow up. We could have done that for 16 years. I could have done that for the last three years on this show. So there'll be umpiring mistakes again this year. And, yeah, I'll have that option again every Monday this year just to highlight the umpiring mistakes and blame the four-umpire system and watch the talkback lines blow up. To me, I don't think umpiring has ever got that much better or got any worse. It's the same, I reckon. Now, was the three umpires was the three umpire system has it been better than the one umpire system? Well, on an umpire mistake per game basis, probably not. So will umpiring get better with four umpires? Well maybe not, but congratulations to the AFL for trying to make it better. And not just sitting back and saying, Oh well, it's always been a little broken, so who cares? And I do like the theory that a game that is played at a faster pace than ever, which it is right now, but is less demanding running-wise and umpires will mean less fatigue in umpires and might mean a better ability to make a good decision. I like that theory. And a better positioning of an umpire, a better positioning of a less fatigued umpire might mean a better chance to see an incident more clearly for the umpire and make a better decision or non-decision if that's the decision. And you keep your good umpires for longer. So Ray Chamberlain, who you know has problems bouncing and maybe getting on, he's a great umpire. So you keep Ray Chamberlain as an umpire. Gary in Avondale Heights wants to talk umpiring. Ken in Hastings wants to talk umpiring. Um, I will come to you. I just want to play you this, though, from Dean Margetts. To me, I'm also against the idea that it's okay to miss the odd throw. But Dean Margetts said this. Have yeah, it, have I'm just not sure that we need to put another umpire out there just for the sake of maybe picking up the odd throw, um, the odd free kick here and there. I mean, the game is very quick. It's played at a frenetic pace. Um, that centre square can be pretty hectic at times. So throwing another body in there, I'm not fully convinced um, it's going to add the value. On the flip side, um, what it does do is it allows our better decision makers to remain in the game longer. Um, it can sort of another vision on the eyes of the, um, the defenders and the forwards. Um, it can transition our next 10 talented umpires into the system whilst they can umpire with a Brett Roseborough, a Matt Stevick or a Ray Chamberlain. I think that's a good thing. Um, so there are, and it takes light off the umpires' bodies as well, so a bit less case to run. So there's some, there's some positives there. Demar gets, yeah, I don't like the idea of, ah, we've always missed the odd throw, so let's miss the odd throw. It's fine. As long as you're not the team that has the opposition throw the ball against you and gets a goal and wins the game. Uh, Gary in Avondale Heights, welcome to you, Gary. G'day, Dwayne. Um, yeah, I don't know this is a good for the four system umpire. I mean, I thought we were going to have a, you know, a nice flowing game of AFL football, but I just think there's just going to be too much whistleblowing and stop-start play. I think there's more better issues that we need to fix up first before this four umpire system. What do you yeah. think? So, well, I think we're jumping a shadows, like they did with the pitch, carry on over the photo. I mean... There'll be times when we say, oh, well, he shouldn't have blown his whistle for that one. 
But there's always times when we say, oh, he shouldn't have blown his whistle for that one. These umpires might actually get into positions where they blow their, um, blow their whistle less because they see it clearly and think, no, that's not a free. They don't have to guess. So it might actually cause the opposite. I think we're jumping in shadows with this whole hoo-ha over four umpires. It's going to kill the game. I'm not going to go and watch it anymore. Thanks for your call. Hold the line. Got something for you. We've got a round of golf for you and a mate at the magnificent St Andrews Beach Golf Course. Valued at $210. Let's see how it goes. Ken, if they're trying something to make it better, shouldn't we congratulate them? We had calls on this program yesterday. The AFL froze ticket prices for the fifth year in a row. And people rang up uh, this program yesterday whinging because they haven't done anything about the food prices. Well, at least they're trying something. Ken and Hastings, you there, Ken? Yeah, Dwayne, love the show, mate. Well done, thank you. Thanks for coming on. Mate, I reckon, I'm, look, I'm not here or, or, or against the, the four umpires, but I reckon if they're going to roll it out, it could actually give a bit more consistency to the game. And the way I'd roll it out would be an A umpire, two B umpires and a C. So the senior umpire could almost coach his team and keep that team throughout the season. So if you know you come up against Ray Chamberlain's umpire unit, you know what they're hot on, what they're not. Almost like well, if Richmond's playing North, they, they sort of do a bit of background on that team. You do a bit of background on the umpires and you play to the game. I don't mind the team staying together. I think that's a good idea. The four umpires in that team get to know each other. They get to know their styles. But I don't think umpires, just because there's a trend, just because you have four umpires together and you chart them or track them over the first four weeks of the season, and you say, well, these four umpires paid more to holding the ball decisions than any other four umpire group. That doesn't mean that they're going to umpire like that for the rest of the year and be hotter on holding the balls than any umpiring group all year. It just means that in the games they may, may have been umpiring together, there might have been more holding the ball decisions, and there'll be meetings with all the umpires getting together, having a look at the numbers at the end of each round. And at the end of the re- each round, they get told, well, maybe we were a bit too hot on holding the ball or maybe we should be um, paying holding the man a bit more often at stoppage because there is a lot of grabbing of jumpers. So, yeah, I think the umpires will get together, learn each other and evolve pretty well together. That's the way I see it. But again, I'm probably a bit more half glass half full than most. Peter in Airport West, thanks for holding. Peter, welcome to you. Welcome. Uh, good, good afternoon. Um, look, love the show too. Look, uh, that guy's in Naughty Land. If he thinks the head curator at the MCG is going to hand over his uh, centre wicket to somebody else. But getting back to the umpiring, look, in basketball, we have referees that stay the same side of the ground, the same side of the court the whole game. What we need to do in the AFL, we need the consistency in the umpiring. That's what's missing. So we need one umpire to stay in the 50-metre arc the whole game. The other umpire stays in the other arc the 50-metre game. And the other two umpires either side of the centre. They just have that position on the ground for the whole game. You get consistency then. There's nothing that upsets a, a team so much when the team you're playing against a little the forward gets a little push in the back. He gets a free kick. Next quarter you kick that end. You get a little push in the back. Your team player and you don't get the free kick. And that's what really upsets people. If we can keep the umpires in the one position for the whole game, we're going to get consistency over the whole ground. I agree with you, Peter. Uh, I'm hoping that's what we get. Uh, They will be more positional than ever, not quite as positional as Eddie Maguire uh, threw up in his proposal a couple of years ago, but they will be position-based more than ever, Peter, and I like that as well. Uh, So I'm agreeing with you. Hold the line. Got something for you. A bottle of Starwood Twofold Double Grain Australian Whiskey. Thanks to Hairy Dogs, Summer of Aussie Spirits, hairydog.com.au. Simon in Adelaide. You there, Simon? 
Yeah, hi, Dwayne. How you doing? Good. Uh, thinking about the merits of playing the wild thing at 150 kilometres an hour. Everybody's talking Boland, and we're thinking Starks uh, injured. Uh, Green might not play. Uh, Hazel was injured. Uh, what's wrong yeah. with throwing 150 k's at him? Or at well, them? the wild thing might end up having to change his nickname to Gunner because he was going to play in Australia. He was going to play in the first test. He might be going to play for the next year and a half. When are we going to see him, Simon? Swing, 150 clicks. What, what have we got to lose? We know what bowling can do. Uh, I'm just thinking, what have we got to lose? Uh, my team, oh, Wayne, if you want to hear it. Keep Murphy. Um, Hanscom plays. Only if Green's not available. And throw the wild thing out there. Simon, I don't mind it myself. Uh, but I'm certainly not <laughs> dropping Todd Murphy. Vance in Tassie's been on hold on that open line. Welcome to you, Vance. Thanks for holding. Hey, Dwayne, how, how you doing? Um, Good, thanks. I always find it amusing when we're, uh, we're talking about umpires. Like, everyone has their own opinion, but the biggest thing I find with umpires is that there's rules that are open for interpretation. And one of those is like a, a, a guy goes in to tackle, uh, the ball dislodges, and one umpire will see it as uh, the ball being dislodged in the tackle play on, and the next guy will say, fair tackle, uh, holding the ball. So... Those sort of decisions, I, I think it's part of the beauty of the game, like the interpretation that comes from it. What do you think? Yeah, I think there should be more explanation from the AFL, though, as to how it unfolds. Every year I go to two lectures pre-season, one with Fox and one with SEN, uh, where the umpires come in and we get shown video and we get it explained to us. OK, here's prior opportunity. Here's how long prior opportunity is. So if you take, if you have that, as your prior opportunity, that length of time with the ball and you don't dispose of it legally, it'll be holding the ball. I think the length of time for prior opportunity is a grey area that the fans, I think, should have a video on the AFL website they can go to to see exactly how long you're allowed with prior opportunity because it does seem to reduce the time frame that you've got to dispose of it legally every year. But you're right, the dropped, the knocked it clear in the tackle, did you drop it? Did you drop it deliberately? Did you feel the tackle contact so you just let it go? Did you actually feel the contact because you wanted it was a, there was a minute to go in the game you were leading by a point you wanted a ball up so you actually felt for contact even though you probably could have disposed of it all that kind of stuff Vance if it got explained to us in a better method by the AFL with a website uh, linked to the AFL's explanation with a video evidence explanation then at least come round 16 when there's a contentious decision you can actually go to the video and say well hang on this one involving Toby Green he gave us pre-season is exactly like that one and don't tell us the umpire got it right because he's actually umpire completely different to that one don't you think it would help 100 percent. that's exactly what we need but i think that's happened over the years and there's subtle changes that that comes along where they that they make the decision that okay now we're going to go this way and, and that's mm. what probably upsets fans the most but i, I totally agree there's some video that would be brilliant i'd love it yeah, the other thing that happens every year is there is slight interpretation alterations. They don't change the rule, but the umpires do tinker with, well, the length of time for prior opportunity, for starters. So just because X happened two years ago for holding the ball doesn't mean that that decision is still the right decision. So that needs to be explained to people as well. The, the umpires do go around to all the clubs, all the broadcasters, and go through all that with the players. And there's a lot of questions thrown up by the broadcasters and the players to the umpires at the time because the, the players love the clarification more than ever. 
these days. They do actually, well, some sit back and go to sleep and don't watch it at all, but the other guys who are actually interested in knowing how long they've got to dispose of the ball do actually perk up and throw a couple of curly ones at the umpires, and it's good to have that back and forth. Great to have you call, Vance. Really appreciate you jumping on the line. One of the big news stories for the last couple of days has been the captaincy announcements that have come through. Toby Green was announced as a solo captain yesterday for the Giants. Marcus Pottenpelli was announced as captain again for the Bulldogs. And it is interesting to see a team like the Giants going from multiple captains, Toby Green part of the captain's group that were captaining the team, to getting the solo captaincy announced yesterday for him. So it was great to see that. Richmond have decided to stick with the two captains again this year, Dylan Grimes and Toby Nankervis. And Neil Baum, Richmond senior club advisor, has been good enough to give me a couple of minutes of his time. Barmy, great to have you back on. Uh, the audience loves you back on your slot, so thanks for coming back on. <laughs> thanks, Jono. <laughs> Thank you. Um, when are the umpires due out to your group to explain what's going to be new in 2023? Yeah, I'm not. It's very, very soon. Um, we were talking about. Yeah, I'm not quite sure exactly when, but uh, it will be soon. And, and we need it to happen because, I mean, umpiring is a really challenging job, and you've got they've got to have as good a relationship as they can with the players. And I know I was a little bit unkind to umpires a bit when I played. I made it, I made their job harder than it should have been. But uh, no, it's um, no, they'll be out soon. So. Uh, Hopefully our blokes will listen and they'll get on pretty well. And there is a lot of questions asked, I mean, about protected area. Exactly how big is the protected area? How close can I go? What if I'm a metre away from my man? Does that mean I can follow him? So there are a lot of things that need clarification in a player's mind, even if they were clear last year, just to get it reconfirmed to them. Well, they do. I mean, my own gut feels that I think we make it almost too hard for the umps to make them carry the can for all that because it's all about making the you know the game look better and all that sort of stuff. But I think sometimes we should make it even simpler than it is at times. But again, that's that's another discussion altogether. So uh, we do, yeah. Our players do know, need to know exactly what the umpires are expecting and what they'll pay so that they don't get to, don't get caught out by you know. Sometimes it's uh, it's natural to follow your man. Um, but with these rules, you can't. When you've got to stop, it means you've got to stop. And, that, and that's not, when we played, it's not what we did because you just went where your man went. You sort of naturally followed where he went, but they can't do that now. So, yeah, they, they do need to have that discussion. So when was umpiring its best? I was talking earlier, Barmy, about the fact that, you know, when the old ladies used to reach over the fence and the old black and white vision with their umbrella, they used to reckon the umpires were no good. So... It's been the same forever. One umpire system, two umpire, three umpire. So we'll get complaints about the four umpire system just like we have for 50, 60 years. Have you got a time when umpiring was its best or has it been the same pretty much the error rate? Oh, it's a bit hard for them. But I I must admit, I think less umpires, the better and let the game look after itself in a way because you do tend to play it yourself. But that's that's an old-fashioned opinion, I must admit. Um, it should be the more the better because they they got a better chance of seeing what they need to see and getting it right. So I suppose really it's better now than it's ever been from that point of view. The game's faster than it's ever been right now. So do you think it is actually more... We could never go back to a one-umpire system because it would be actually impossible. But do you think that because of the evolution of speed, uh, we need to cut them a bit of slack when it comes to trying to keep up? Oh, well, that's true. I mean, if we want them to see everything, they're... One bloke can't do it. It's too hard. He'd be dead after the end of the game. Yeah. Uh, so you're quite right. That's what we want to happen, and that seems to be uh, the direction we're taking, which certainly makes sense. So the evolution of Richmond, uh, you've brought in Hopper, Taranto. Uh, you just keep getting better, and it seems as if 
uh, topping up with really good players to stay in the window is what the great clubs are ch- trying to achieve. Yeah, it's interesting. I just uh, just before doing this today, I was had a look at the list again, and you know, and if you look at our list, there's 20 odd which you virtually pick every week. There's a couple of newies in Toronto and Hopper which will make a huge difference, and there's a few new kids and a few of the kids that have been there for a little while we want to play so we've got some genuine challenges as how we use them the best we can and give them opportunities but uh, I think we're, we've never been in a better spot I think um, we should be very confident about what we can do this year last year we were a bit inconsistent which was disappointing and lost too many close games but our best was pretty good and we will be better because there's no doubt that um, the kids will get better and Toronto and Hopper will make us a better team because of what they do in the midfield so uh, we got, we're, we're very, very positive about what's going to happen for us this year. It's a tough year, and there's quite a few teams can tell the same story as we are. So it's a, I think it's going to be a wonderful year, but I think we'll be pretty strong, pretty competitive. And at the top end, you've had stability. You've had the same coach for, what, 14 years now, and you've stuck with the same captains again this year, even though you've still got Trent Cochin playing. So there is a, I mean, stability, there's a lot to be said for that at a football club too. Well, there is, but and from a coaching point of view, we've got the same coach, but we've got he's got a lot of coaches around him influencing him. There's been a reasonable amount of change in that over the journey, and he does listen. Um, it's very important that they do that. In the good old days, it was one bloke decided and just his way or the highway. Hmm. But now there's a lot of discussion and a lot of sharing of information, and um, and then, and ultimately it's what the players know rather than what the coaches know. So we're in a good spot. But but even the captaincy thing there, it's um. Leadership is much bigger than captaincy, if you know what I mean. But uh, the captaincy is important because who you actually nominate as the one who leads what we think is right, they've got to be the right sort of people. And certainly uh, both Dylan and Toby showed last year that they are. Uh, But the support they get from the other players is really significant and important as well. So for those who, like me, I don't really know Dylan Grimes or Toby Nankervis that well. I see them on the field every week, but I don't know them beyond that. What do they bring to the table? Oh, they're both, um, there's no doubt that you'll get everything from them. And they really do. There's, they don't hold back. They have a decent crack. They buy in. They're very much team orientated. Uh, they challenge and support all their teammates. So, they're, no, they're ideal there. Francis Burke, like, if if, uh, if anyone remembers what Burke was like, they're not dissimilar to him in, in the way they play and that they give you everything. And speaking of your old uh, mates, uh, Michael Roach, how's he going? Well, funnily enough, I spoke to him uh, half an hour ago, and he's going pretty well. He's uh, he had a bit of a bit of an issue. He had a bit of a heart problem, and then finished up having to have a um, you know have a surgery on his heart. And then he had a couple of minor things happen around it, which could have been a problem, you know, blood clotting in his leg or whatever it is. But fortunately, that's all solved, and he's home and feeling pretty good. So uh, it was a bit of a scare for him, but he's in pretty good shape. Can you give us a couple of positional moves? Where, how much forward, and how much in the middle for Dusty? Well, the great thing for both Dusty and Koch, as I see it, is that people, the Taranto and Hopper thing coming in being, you know, the full-time midfielders gives them a chance to do something else, doing what they do well, which is really that, you know, wonderful forward craft they've got and ability to make something out of nothing. Both of them can do that. So I reckon there'll be a bit more of that than there has been uh, because, but they can still play in the midfield when they want to and we want them to. So I think... Uh, there's there's really a lot of options for us. But certainly, uh, if you were a, a backman, you wouldn't want to pick up either of them every week. I wouldn't think they're a very talented player. I heard from Kane Corns that Trent Cochin only playing forward for two weeks, is it? 
I'm, I'm not absolutely sure what we'll <laughs> finally do, but uh, that, that's quite possible. Yeah. You think he'll end up in the midfield as well? Uh, there's always they always do. Yes, I reckon at some stage he will be, but he, he won't he won't be a full time midfielder now. He doesn't have to be. I don't think. Now, Tom Lynch, uh, how's he going? Will he be right for round one or not? Yeah, we're reasonably confident. Uh, no certainty yet, but he's pretty good. He's moving pretty well. Um, we, we, if we had to predict, we'd say he will play round one, but uh, we can't back that in totally yet. And your player management strategy, there's been a story about uh, Geelong's template and uh, where, where you've seen what they've done and whether you are going to adjust what you do as well. Where, where is that at, that afl.com.au report, if you've seen it? Oh, I haven't. What, what, is it, what does it say? Well, that uh, there's a player rest management strategy that you might use as well during the course of your season. You might not have got it from Geelong. You might just be using a strategy to rest players at the right time just because it fits you and nothing to do with what Geelong's been doing. Oh, no. Well, if, I mean, the fact that Geelong are doing it's probably good. <laughs> um, <laughs> but we won't do it just because they did it. We'll look at it and what do we need? What, and, you know, if someone's done it, we'll, we'll use that as an example of how to manage it. But uh, we do have, there's no doubt we have players on our list that we want to play that aren't necessarily in our obvious best uh, team. So there's a, that, that drives it as well. We need to play these kids. We need to give them the opportunity. And if it means uh, resting uh, one of the, the blokes who've done all the work throughout the year, like a Martin or a Cochin who's a touch older or you know someone who's doing a lot of the midfield work, well, and, and it works, well, we'll be doing it. Um, so I think... Um, there's plenty of room for that sort of thing in footy nowadays. Uh, it, it, even though we would say each week this is the only game that counts and you've got to pick your best team for this week, um, there's a season to take into account and there's the longer-term stuff as well. So we'll, we'll certainly consider all that. So does that come into play, not only with the senior players then who might be spent and need a rest, but guys like Tyler Sonsi who you probably think, well, we've got to give this kid a couple of games at least uh, to get him a chance to prove us uh, what we thought that he had because we recruited him so early. No, I think that's absolutely a significant part of it. We, we, you know, we did a little exercise on our camp a couple of weeks ago with our coterie guys, picked the best team, and you, and all of a sudden you pick the best team, and there's these seven or eight kids there. You're saying, well, we want to play them, and they're not in this team. How the hell are we going to do that? So I think that's a significant part of the strategy. Is how do we, how do we play sons? How do we play the uh, the new young kids when it's their turn? Um, and, and actually make, consciously do it and give them a chance to show us what they can do and then at least we'll find out. So I, I think you're quite right. I think it's, the world's changing a little bit from that point of view. Do you also think everyone's saying that everyone's going to play quicker? You've always played pretty quick and played that chaotic style that has suited you, but do you see that evolution continuing this year with even the teams that didn't play that quick now playing quick? Oh, I think it's a bit of both. You still have to have control, but if you're quicker, it's harder to stop. There's no doubt about that. That's simple. But if you're quick and and uh, and you're not tidy, it's not such a good thing. So you still got you still got to get it right. There's still a balance. And do you think it's a larger midfield rotation group than it ever has been as well? So more guys flowing through there. The more guys that you've got that are quality to give you a great centre square starting four, or even on your wings as well, gives you that advantage. Oh, I think you have to. If you can, you're gonna, you've got to be better off. But they've got to be able to do it. Um, and that, that's the challenge. So you've got to give them the opportunity. But, you know, it's such a hard game for them now to expect them to be absolutely at their best for 100 minutes is nearly impossible. So you've got to have the, uh, uh, the rotations without any doubt. 
and uh, the bench style that you've got now with the sub rule changing, do you think the two ruck thing will be more in vogue? You've gone through a couple of different eras at Richmond where you didn't play a second ruck at all. You just had a pinch hitter. But how do you think that's going to happen? Is it still who you've got when it comes to your ruckman that decides how you actually go about it? Yeah, I don't think we've quite resolved it, even in our own mindset. Um, you know, we always think we're going to need two ruckmen, but you only need one ruckman at a, at a time, which sounds a bit left-handed thing to say, but you know what I mean. Mm. Uh, but if all of a sudden you lose your gun one and your second one's not good enough, you're in big trouble. So you've got to have them around. But I'm not absolutely sure of the answer. But being an old ruckman, I reckon you should play as many ruckmen as, many ruckmen as you can. Um, but uh, that's not going to be the case. And you need to be able to do other things as well, which, again, in our day you could as well. But, um, but well, we've got a few opportunities there. It would uh, be interesting to see how what actually works for us. But um, uh, I think we're caught between uh, rock and hard place there. We're not quite sure what to do either, I don't think. I had uh, a conversation with an old ruckman the other day. I won't name him because uh, it, it was a private one. But just on old rucks, I mean, Sam Newman used to jump and be a, a palmer of the ball. There, there was... Was it more craft back then to put it down a guy's throat? I mean, there were some great midfielders back then as well, but it seemed like that putting it down a throat might have been a thing done more so back in your day, Barmy. Oh, yeah, who knows? That's what we're always trying to do. <laughs> Did we get away with it? <laughs> who knows? Um, oh, I, I think that's if you're going to get the tap, well, no, you mightn't put it down the throat, but as long as you put it where you plan to put it, you might just run onto it. Um, mm. No, there's always a great bit of planning about it, but um, I think you've underestimated them if we think that they are still trying to do that now. Maybe there's more uh, opposition players being able to read it uh, even better. Hey, great to have a chat to you, Barmy. Always good to be able to pick your brain. Um, I've got a philosophical question to ask you just before you go. Being a, an iconic club like Richmond is now, a destination club, I heard Tom Harley talking on breakfast earlier today, talking about facilities and being able to sell Sydney as a city and the culture overall is an area where, you know, they can win when it comes to the recruiting game. Richmond's now in a position where, as a club, um, you can recruit guys like Hopper and Taranto because why wouldn't you want to come and play out this iconic club that's got a great culture with a great coach? Um, what's the lure that you can use these days outside of just your footy department cap? So when it comes to your spending your money... Is it facilities? What is it that you can grow at a club to, to get that edge? Oh, normally, um, the player wants to play in a winning environment, and that's what you've got to probably sell them. I mean, can they be part of it? And how can they be? And what do they need to be do to do that? And can we afford to fit them in? And are they the right sort of person for it? But I think, you know, most of the recruiting that I've done over the you know the many years I've been in, mostly it's been about what does the player want from the club what do we provide for him and that's very much cultural it's not if he's just coming for the money he's coming for the wrong reasons um but he needs to come for the opportunity that he might play in a uh, in a winning team uh, the blokes around him are going to support him and help him uh, they're going to welcome his family all that sort of stuff footy's really just a thing about people and i think that's still the most significant thing you can sell as a club are we a decent bunch of people or are we a decent club will you strive here and will it be worthwhile for you and will you enjoy it and will you do the best you can and can we help you be the best you can be? That's really exactly where we are, I think. That's why they got you, Barmy, because great people make great clubs. Always great to have you, Barmy, and we'll talk soon. Good luck with the season. Thanks, Dwayne. Good on you, mate.
Neil Baum joining us, Richmond Senior Club Advisor. one 300 open line number. If you'd like to join me, Pauline in Box Hill has been on the line for a while. Welcome to you, Pauline. Oh, good afternoon, Dwayne. Look, I'd just like to make a brief comment. Um, I phoned SEN, Kevin Bartlett and Dr Turf. Now, we're going back a bit. So I suggested that the three umpires should always umpire together so that they would know, have have the same interpretations. And the answer from the AFL was that, oh, that would leave the umpires open to corruption. Now, talk about having faith in your employees. Yeah, I didn't hear that from the AFL at the time, Pauline. I've never heard that that the AFL take on it, and I would be horrified if they actually said that uh, in the open, Pauline. I think it will work. I think having umpires, umpire as a group, continually together, I think is the better way to go. But, uh, yeah, you're going back to the Dr. Turf and KB days, and I wasn't listening every day back then. I did listen a lot, but I wasn't listening every day back then. But always great to have your contribution. Pete and Param wants to talk balmy and umpiring. Welcome to you, Pete. Yeah, hey, Dwayne, thanks very much for uh, having me on. Yeah, quickly, Barmy, on uh, Gary Lyon's recommendation last year when uh, Neil released his book, I did purchase it a couple of months later. I've got to say, it it really highlights or, or confirms, affirms the person he is. It shows two things. What a, what a what highly respected person he is, not just in football, but outside of football. And secondly, it shows that strategically, tactically, you know, from a football perspective, he was often ahead of his time. And the principles he was just discussing with you in terms of um, the cultural approach is really what he was breeding into clubs back from Adelaide, then, you know, all the way through to Melbourne, etc. So, uh, firstly, I really recommend anyone who wants the, a great book to read to grab it, but it, it's because it has a great story to it and, and gives us a deeper understanding of the man. So that's that one. On the umpiring, um, on the on the time, on um, um, the... Uh, sorry, what, what the time, I forget the... Prior opportunity, thank you. On the prior yep. opportunity uh, perspective... Personally, personally, I don't mind, and I think it's impossible to have a consistent across all matches. What I do mind is if it's inconsistent in the in the same match I'm watching today. In in the match, it has to be consistent at least in that match in terms of of the ruling of what prior opportunity is. I think it's impossible to get it spot on across all matches unless you allow the timing to happen upstairs. And the umpires should be told, told through an earpiece of what, you know, that it's, it's time, basically. That's my opinion. Yeah. And, Dwayne, really appreciate yeah. you taking my call. Hey, good to have you on, Pete. Uh, I agree with you. As long as it's consistent in that game, it's never going to be consistent across all games. But when you say consistent in a game, also, if an umpire makes a mistake with a prior opportunity decision in the first minute of the game, I don't want that mistake to be consistent. So if there's a mistake early, it's just a mistake. But hopefully over the course of the game, we do get consistency from all umpires on it. And they just, you know, got to gobble up a bad decision and say, well, that one was wrong, but we're, we're going to pay it differently from here on. Peter in Essendon's been holding for a while. Welcome to you, Peter. Uh, yes, good afternoon, Dwayne. Dwayne, just an idea. Um, every week after, after the round, does the umpires get together like a review, don't they, Dwayne? They do. Yeah, well, what they could do is when they get asked, look, you've got to get onto this, 
you've missed this part of the rule or um, and then bring it on to match day half an hour before the game and explain to the players this or the two captains this is what we're after and this is what we've missed and we're really hot on this particular rule. What do you think of that, Dwayne? Just give them a heads up. It changes from week to week. Yeah, I don't think they can say, hey, we're going to be this week really hot on this particular rule. But I think the AFL and the umpiring department could be more transparent in saying, um, we've got, we've relaxed a bit on, in this area too much, uh, or we've been too tight on protected area free kicks and we're going to relax a bit, be more transparent with that. And I think they were last year. They did change the interpretation of head high last year. The Jack Ginevan incident uh, forced them. And they'll probably say it wasn't the Jack Ginevan incident, but let's face it, uh, we all thought that it was the Jack Ginevan incident that saw them put out a video involving three players and an, an incidents involving three players that explained how they were going to interpret the head high tackles a little differently. And I think they are trying to be more transparent. So I think we will see more of that, Peter. Um, I think that the, the umpires go out to clubs all the time. So the umpires might go out to a club on a Wednesday and go through a couple of different ways that players and umpires might be on different page when it comes to interpretations and try and get on the same page. So that does happen. It's not like they, you know, just umpire on the weekend. They go about their business um, as a stockbroker or uh, in their newsagent for the rest of the week and then they get back together on the Friday when the footy starts. It's not like that. They do actually get involved on a Monday normally, get together, go through stuff and actually get to clubs and explain stuff. And if the AFL and the umpiring department need to make an, an alteration to an interpretation like head high, they normally tell us now, which is great. Uh, great to have you call, Pete. Always great to have you company for Dwayne Ford. Always great to have one of our all-time greats to have a chat to. Lennard Copeland's been good enough to join me to talk some NBL. Uh, Lennard, great to see you at the game the other night. And uh, by the way, you're killing it on the commentary, doing such a great job on the NBL's commentary as part of their team. So uh, well done for what you've put together this year again. But great to have you on the show. Thanks for joining me. Dwayne, it was good to see you, my friend. You're looking great. You're looking great too. In fact, uh, you look like you could run out there and uh, shoot a couple, actually, the way you're looking at the moment. Are you doing clinics? What are you doing these days? What are you doing outside of the commentary? I'm just back to lot. I'm doing commentary. I'm doing some early morning training with some kids. But let me tell you something. There's not a chance in hell I'm running out there again. It's, I'm over. It's done, Dwayne. It's done. <laughs> uh, who is going to win this thing? We're down to four teams now. The Kings have been the team to beat all season. They got a run for their money last night by Cairns, who have a couple of their superstars out. So they, did they look vulnerable last night, the Kings, or did they just a couple of their guys have a night off? Well, no, look, Cairns have had the wood on the Sydney Kings this year. They've won two out of the last three before last night. They just seem to play good basketball against the Kings. Uh, they've done quite well, and you're right, they had two superstars out. But, but I think because Sydney has had a 10-day Leaders, um, they've they rested for 10 days, and Cairns have had that playoff mode. They came in firing, ready to go in that first half. And as you've seen, they shot the lights out in that first half. Now, whatever Buford, Buford, Coach Buford said to him at halftime must have worked because they came back out and played tremendous defense and shut Cairns down that second half. So, do you think Cairns can get them uh, next time, or do you think the Kings are going to go through and what are the Breakers and Jack Jumpers series going to look like? Jack Jumpers take the Breakers home for the game tonight. So they're down 1-0 after losing fairly heavily in New Zealand to the Breakers. 
I just think both the Breakers and the Kings have too much depth. Both those guys have been teetering around first, second place all year long. They have the talent. They have smart coaches. You know, they have guys coming off the bench. Um, and, yes, the Jack Jumpers are, are one of those teams you can never, never doubt, never cancel out. But I just think with, with the, the experience that New Zealand have with their, their, their team, they, they'll get over the Jack Jumpers and get to that grand final series. And that's the same thing with the Kings. I think the Kings have done it all year long. They won it last year. They have the experience. Um, they'll, they'll, get, they'll get the cans, top hands because of the injuries. Um, and you'll see Sydney and, and New Zealand in the grand final. Xavier Cooks, um, he was the MVP officially. Is he, has he been your MVP this season? And is his shooting still going to cost him from getting the invite into the NBA? Is there a couple of things that he might be able to work on to get himself there? No doubt the shooting will, will hamper him from getting there. But he's been, you're right, he's been my MVP the whole year from what he does. He's one of those players that you don't need to run any plays for. He gets it off that glass and pushes it down the floor. He's one of those players that rebounds the ball very well. He's a talented defender. Um, and but there's guys in the NBA that play similar basketball. You look at Draymond Green from the Golden State Warriors. Those two guys play similar basketball. Um, Cooks, yeah, he needs to work on his three-point shooting. He's worked on his free throws. He's gotten better. I just think if he gets that invite, you'll see him in the gym. He's a gym rat. You'll see him in the gym working on his game. And, and I honestly don't think he'll be in this league next year. I think he's too good. So minute in, minute out effort, Xavier Cooks is renowned for. You think that's going to, if he goes to the NBA, it's actually going to hold him in pretty good stead because they love that kind of work rate? Absolutely. He, he, he's one of those guys that changes the game. And without Cooks, Sydney Kings would not be in the position they're in right now. And as you've seen last night, he looked like a player above everyone else. He just took over that game, put him on his back. And because of his 27 points and 14 rebounds, and a cup of hellacious, like Daisy says, hellacious dunks, then he was, he was magnificent. Speaking of the NBA, have we seen the best of Ben Simmons? Can you see him recapturing his best at all? Wow, that's a, you know, Dwayne, that question has been asked a hundred times, and we would like <laughs> to think so. He's Australian. I play with his father. I know his family. He's a good kid. I just don't know if, he, if he's hungry enough anymore. I mean, you know, and I don't want to say anything bad, but when you sign that massive contract, he's making $35 million this year alone. Uh, 35.5, may I add. I'll take the point five if you don't mind. 35.5, and, 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 you know, and it's guaranteed, so it's not like he, can't, he won't get his money. I just think he didn't have the will anymore. He's not, he's not interested in, in being better than he was. He needs to work on that jump shot. He needs to get that fire back. Uh, and if he doesn't, you can probably see Ben. If Ben doesn't fire up in the next year or so, you'll probably see Ben playing somewhere else because NBA teams have lost interest. So who wins the NBA? Celtics are still the favourite according to many, but according to some, uh, now that Durant's gone to the Suns, they've got a pretty good core. roster. got a couple of Aussies. Well, Torrey Craig played here for a while and Jock Landau's over there. So um, who do you think's the favourite? Who do you think will win it? Well, look, I- I- I've always been a a sort of a Durant fan. He certainly adds depth to that, that Phoenix team with Booker and, and CP3 who likes to pass the ball. You've got Aiden who plays well and Landell, like you said, coming off the bench. But Boston has been great the whole year with Brown and Tatum. 
They've been consistent the whole year. And, they, they, you know, the way they lost last year, generally you have to lose, lose in a championship to win one. And these guys are so hungry last year, they missed out. I think that you'll see them probably win it. If not, I'm going with Denver in the West because Jokic, who is the MVP to me in, this, in the NBA, just a guy who can get a triple-double. Anybody can get a triple-double before halftime. It has to be in the, in the MVP race. So he's won two MVP, MVPs in a row. I reckon he'll win another one. He's that good. So Denver for me on the West, but it, I think it'll be Denver and, and, and Boston in the, in the uh, championship. Great to have you on, Lenard. Always good to be able to pick your brain. I could talk to you for another half an hour. I do want to ask you a quick one before you go. If the NBL, well, the NBL will expand, where do you think the next franchise should come from, do you think? Well, I'd like to see one in Sydney and in Perth. Um, Perth, I know people in Perth probably won't like that, but Perth is a massive. Anytime you can sell out that big arena, uh, every game, 14,000, 15,000, there's enough people to go around. So I'd like to see one in Perth. Sydney probably deserve another one. But when I got here, Dwayne, back in the day, we had four Victorian teams. Melbourne Tigers, Melbourne Magic, the, the Giants, and the Geelong Supercats. So we were able to sustain, you know, and get those big crowds as well. So I think basketball is on the rise. You know, I, I know Larry didn't want to rush it, but I'd love to see a team in Sydney, another team in Perth, and perhaps bring back the old Tiger boys. How about that? Well, hang on. Bring back your old – do you think Larry would do that? Do we, Gazy would, I don't know. I, gee, that would be huge. Lose, that would be huge, but I don't know if he's going to do it. But it would, I know there's a lot of people out there that want it. Let me just say that. Do you think they'd get an automatic 10,000 crowd to John Kane Arena if they brought back the Tigers? They probably wouldn't have been John Kane. They'd be in Rod Labor because that place holds a little bit more. You know how we used to sell it out back in the day, Dwayne? You know, you were there <laughs> – I was there watching you, two-time NBL champion, Leonard Copeland. There you go. The lines are open. Do you reckon they'd sell it out? If the Tigers came back in, Leonard Copeland says, bring them back. I love it. I think it's a great idea. It's a, it's, it's a franchise that kind of is still going, but they'd have an automatic fan base day one. Hey, great to have you, Leonard. Good commentating. We're here during the playoffs as they continue. Thank you. Thanks, Wayne. Talk to you soon. Leonard Copeland joining us. By the way, the 2023 NBL Finals Continue tonight, Game 2, Breakers v Jack Jumpers, semi-final series. You can catch it live on ESPN tonight on Foxtel and on KO, as well as 10 Peach and 10 Play. Bring back the Tigers. Leonard Copeland, one of the all-time greatest Tigers, uh, two-time NBL champion, um, NBL Grand Final MVP back in 97, as well five-time NBL All-Star, uh, one of the all-time greats. And he might be onto something there. We'll take a break. You're with Dwayne's Well. Fighting words from one of the all-time NBL greats, Leonard Copeland, bring back the Tigers and they'd sell out Rod Laver Arena. Forget John Kane Arena. Uh, do you agree? If you're on the text that do agree, Steve, absolutely they would pack it out. Another one here, United can give the Tigers their history back, like the New Orleans Pelicans gave the Charlotte Hornets, the New Orleans Hornets history. United can be known as a franchise team and not the old Tigers. Joe from Horsham, thanks for that. Uh, another one here, absolutely bring back the Tiger train. Keep your text coming, 0433981116. Another here on the NBL. Dueno, are we any wiser as to who is going to be the TV broadcaster for NBL after this current deal finishes? No, I don't know. I know that they're looking for, and we had um, Jeremy Lowliger on this program uh, about a week ago, admitting, uh, telling the world that they are looking to see what happens next when it comes to 
the broadcaster, whether they can get a free-to-air broadcaster to broadcast a Thursday night or a Friday night game. So that's on their agenda. Currently two games, obviously, are free-to-air on a Sunday, the way it stands right now, but they're trying to get more than that. But every game is on KO and on Foxtel as well through ESPN. Uh, one here, Luke Hodge summed it up when he said you have to watch the Friday footy each Friday night so that you know what the rules are for the weekend, Matt and Fremantle. Uh, I agree with you, Matt. You do have to watch the Friday night game or the Thursday night game to see how the weekend might be umpired. And if you're a player and you're not watching the Thursday night or Friday night game and you make the mistake on a Saturday, then who's the fool? You should be watching footy. There's a lot of players that don't watch footy these days. Uh, Hi, Dwayne. I'm a Carlton supporter, so my love of Barmy probably doesn't extend as far as yours does. That's from Paul. Yeah, I get that, Paul. Although my love of Barmy um, has its limits as well, given uh, 1984. is still pretty fresh in my memory when uh, he did the job on us. Um, Hi, Dwayne. Uh, good reminder in the last two minutes of Monday's Super Bowl that other sports have to deal with subjective interpretation of the rules, not just the AFL. The positive is that it makes for great talking points without which midday matters would run half as long. Cheers from Tim in Carnegie. Yeah, one thing about sport, uh, we don't want vanilla. We'll, sport is still the best reality TV there is, and you don't want it to be vanilla. You want it to have some spice. Um, although Clarkson's Farm's pretty damn good when it comes to reality TV. I've got to say, I've enjoyed that the last month, but yeah, probably still live sport is ahead of it for mine. SEN's ball-by-ball coverage of the second test between India and Australia starts 2.30pm tomorrow and it's live from Delhi. Jared Waitley is over there. Adam Collins, Ravi Shastri, Bharat Sundarason, Harsha Bogle, Pete Lawler and our special guest, uh, a man who played 38 tests for Australia, one of the superstars of days gone by, turned magnificent commentator Michael Kasperowitz joins me in Delhi. Welcome to you, Michael. Great to have you on. Good morning. Namaste. Dwayne, I'm just, uh, that's uh, Indian or Hindi for, um, yeah, g'day, mate. I like it. I didn't realise mate was part of their vocab, but I like it. Um, and uh, oh, yeah. will we be friendly? Will we be friendly uh, or will we be a bit more aggressive, Alan Border style, do you think, in this second test? <laughs> I think the Australians, um, I'll come out and, yeah, they'll have the experience, obviously, of that, um, of that horrible loss. Uh, you'll, you'll find there'll be a little bit of a little bit more venom, I suppose, in the way they do it. But I don't think it's going to be anything drastic. It doesn't need to be. It's all about execution on the field. So, what will our eleven be, Michael? You've uh, been out there yesterday and had a look. I think uh, you, you and the team spoke to Mitch Stark. Do you know what the eleven should be and what it might be? Um, two different things, I think. <laughs> what yep. you'd love to do is have everyone fit. Um, so with Cameron Green, I, th- I really think that's going to be the key. If he's fit, they decide to play him. Would mean that they could have him as the second fast bowler. Unfortunately, then Scott Boland would probably come out. Um, but with Cameron Green and um, Paddy Cummins um, being the two fast bowlers, enables them to have a third spinner. And I think they'd go for the left arm spinner. I'm thinking I'm leaning more towards Matthew Kuhneman because he just arrived um, rather than Ashtonago, who, of course, can add plenty with the bat as well, which we certainly needed in that first test. But the other side of it too, Dwayne, is I wouldn't be surprised if Cameron Green's not fit, um, if Mitchell Stark isn't fit, they don't want to sort of try that out, that they'll go in with an unchanged side. That won't surprise me one bit. 
So how is the dropping of Travis Head going to affect whether they pick him again? Does that constrain them a little bit now? Yeah, it does. Yeah, it definitely does. Um, which was, yeah, it was sort of, it was weird in a way. I know that Matt Renshaw is actually regarded as being a really good player of spin. He sweeps well. He does that in shield cricket. Um, they've got, obviously, they want him back in the side. Looking to the future, I guess. Um, he's been opening and, and batting really well, having doing that for Queensland this year. But, you know, in the past, he's opened for Australia. So maybe, maybe with a, show, with a David Warner down the track or somewhere down there anyway, they wanted to get Matthew Renshaw back in the side. But the, the Travis Head scenario is really interesting because they keep talking about the fact his record over in Asia, they spread it out across South, Sri Lanka as well, isn't particularly great in the past. But you're talking about a guy who's, you know, I think he's ranked number four in the ICC batting rankings at the moment. But what we've seen in Travis Head is him adapting and adjusting. The way that he's been playing the last two years for Australia, granted, it's been on Australian soil, he's really surprised and changed his game. And in many ways, I, th- I think I'd like to believe that he could do the same thing on these on these pitches. So can they just admit they were wrong? They shouldn't have dropped him and put him straight back in? No, no one... Do, no, you never heard a selector say they picked the wrong team. Um, but which is why I think they... they you know, the team wasn't wrong. Um you know, I think we the other side of it too is India played exceptionally well um, on the conditions they know, and it takes a little bit of time to to understand and your game plan to suit these conditions. So that's kind of that's the challenge to the Australian team. It's a challenge to any team coming playing away from home. Um, would it have fixed it if they had some practice games previous before this Test match? Oh, maybe uh, being exposed to the conditions, but that's the thing these days. All the players have been over here kind of many times, not just um, with the Australian team. Previous tours, for a few of them, uh, they've come over also to a few of them in the IPL. But mainly, the Australian team sends over, and, and they did this last year, they sent a group of young players to come over here to the MRF Cricket Academy, uh, express conditions and play here. Two of those players, um, well, one was Matthew Coon, the other one um, did all right that first test in Young Murphy. Mm. Yeah, well, if not for Murphy, they'd still be batting now, India. They'd be uh, they'd be seven for four thousand two hundred. The 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 situation we're in with with the pitch in Delhi now. Did we jump at a shadow with the pitch in the first test? And how's the pitch in Delhi looking to play? Um, the, t- the pitch right here is um, it's your typical uh, pitch in India. As much as the attention around photographs of a pitch, you know, two or three days out looking so different and there's and even the term, you know, pitch fixing or doctoring or, you know, cheating all that sort of stuff, it's it's kind of ridiculous. Um, it's the different wickets, the way they're prepared and sure, they're always going to be bare on the ends for the spinners um, and even this pitch is going to be different the different soil actually from what we had in, in Nagpur um, you'll find this one gets a little bit more chunky with a darker sort of soil, so when you know, it gets older and you get the foot traffic on it, there's little chunks will come out rather than being the dusty side of things, which would and ultimately would have been awesome to have, uh, will be awesome to have Mitchell Stark coming in. And I think what he'd be fantastic for, only because he's, a, you know, attacking, swings the ball, you know, 140, 150K an hour is something we really, really be all to talk to him on. Because of him bowling uh, over the wicket, 
um, and big left arm, it created for our right arm off spinners to hit in Murphy and Lyon, of course, bowing to the uh, the Indian batsmen. So, yeah, so it'll all be revealed, of course, when um, you know when they pick the team and wickets. But they give it; they always give it right up to the last, you know, right up to the toss to decide um, from players. And there's lots of things going on. But I like your term. You, you know, you see, you, in many ways, they go in chasing. You end up chasing your tail if you keep swapping and changing your team all the time. Um, so that's why I think they'll. It won't surprise me at all if it's exactly the same team. Um, but I'm just. I'm actually expecting them to play a whole lot better. So let's presume they do play a whole lot better. How will we win this test? How we, in theory, we're the best test nation in the world. So if we win the second test, how will that happen? Well, winning the toss helped the last one. Um, that's the only thing we won. <laughs> Won the toss and, mm. and electing to bat, and you bat first, and you bat big, as we used to say. And by that, I mean that um, you, know, you don't really want to bat once. And if you go and score 400 runs, um, you don't, yeah, because you're not batting last on this wicket. You just want to get that big lead. 177 was not nearly enough. 250 could have made life a little bit more interesting if we had scored that. But I think that's the key with our opening batsmen in Warner and Kawaja being two for two. Um, wasn't ideal, and that was the thing. We had that great Lavashane and Smith got together, as they so often do, and had a, a wonderful partnership. But that's the, that's the key. If we can get 350 um, on the wicket when it's going to be at its best to bat on by winning that toss, it's going to be the key. And one last theoretical question, Michael. I'm trying to work out in my mind... Is there less mm. draws in Test cricket than ever before because the pitchers are prepared for results and we don't want five-day ball fests? Or has T20 changed the mindset of a lot of Test cricketers so we don't have the patient guys who just want to bat for three days like we once did have, even if they bored us to death? Why do, why do we have less draws and why do we have so many situations where we're not getting guys staying at the crease for two days? <laughs> I think you're spot on. That's exactly the reason why, because of 2020 cricket and the same way that 50 over cricket um, sped up test cricket in the day. That Now we're seeing, um, you know, teams in, in the way that 2020 cricket has actually made 50 over cricket more exciting because teams are chasing down 350. They're scoring nearly 400 runs now in a 50 over game, which back in the day, um, you know, 240 was a winning score. And the same with Test cricket. We got, um, you know, if you had a, a good day and scored oh, your 90 overs, 270, you know, three runs and over, you know, limited, you know, th- five, six wickets, that's a great day in Test cricket years ago. Teams are scoring four runs and over now, easy. And, you know, if you're not scoring at 300 plus, 350s almost, um, it's sort of, you know, and the, the way that players, the skills of the players today is what is the reason why we're, we're they're scoring so many more runs. But with that comes risk. So you, um, so you got um, you don't have the, the traditional block artists as we used to call it as, as kids, mm. out there just um, just you know occupying the crease. You end up, it ends up being quite a you know it's, it's attacking cricket and and even the expectation from the batsman, we've got to be keep scoring here. Um, you know, it makes Test cricket more exciting, which means that if the batsmen are playing shots, the bowlers are getting wickets, um, and then the spectators and media. Um, uh, personnel are actually getting um, a days off at the test, so they're not always going to day five. 
No, they're not. Uh, hey, Michael, great to have you on. Is it fun being back in India? You've been there a few times, and how's it evolved for you? Do you still love the craziness, especially the, the craziness of Delhi? I absolutely love it, yeah, Dwayne. I, um, look, I've been coming here since, well, 25 years now, so 98 was the first cricket tour, but I've had... Oh, different roles. Um, I was on the Australian, for the Australian government, um, the Australian India Council, which was a, a DFAT appointed board. There was oh, five years of involvement there. And like for over the years, I've been coming to India oh, previously a couple of times a year. I love it. It's, it's, it's the energy, um, the optimism um, in the people here. Um, it's chaos, absolutely. And it's, and as I said to everyone, to all the people who've come for the first time, I'll just point out to them, it's actually impossible to accurately describe this place when you go home. Even a video or from your phone won't, won't do it justice. You've got to come here, see it. Um, and the best time to do that, I really truly believe, is while the Australian cricket team are playing hmm. cricket here. Because um, not, not just being an Australian, just, not that they're more friendly, they're always friendly. It just makes um, the whole place just you see a different touch of it too with everyone fanatical about the game of cricket. Um, but, yeah, it's, that's what I love it. love it. I love this place. Um, it's the funniest place you ever go to as well. In what way? Oh, just the, just the everyday stuff, um, some stuff you read and see and um, oh, the different circumstances. Like, it's plenty of... <laughs> It can, I've even speaking to a couple last night from Adelaide. Um, they're not even here for the cricket. They're just here on a travelling around and and um, yeah, there was a, interesting. They oh, they've come here and um, yeah, and it's, they said, oh look, there's so many. You know, we get a little bit frustrated with this and this doesn't work. And I said, that's all part of. There's you know, it's it's not like it's not Australia. That's why it's not home. Um, it's different and. In many ways, that's what the Australian career team are finding out, you know, and maybe some press that you turn up and you're expecting, yeah, cricket wickets like we produce at home or, you know, all the different, you know, the foods. And that's the other side of things too. Um, it's all so different, but that's all part of it. And that's, that's what I say, that's the fun element here is, um, is just the, the way that everything, everything works. Not the same way that it works at home, but it, it ends up working. <laughs> Casper, great to have you on. Really appreciate you joining us. Uh, Michael Casper is joining us for a McCafe coffee catch-up, the deluxe iced coffee range from McCafe. And you'll hear Michael Kasperwitz and the team this time tomorrow with the start of the second test broadcast on SEN. Um, great to have him on. Margaret in Sunbury, great to have you on. Margaret, welcome to you. Thanks for holding for a couple of minutes. That's all right. Welcome back, uh, uh, Dwayne, and Happy New Year. I know it's a bit late, but however, Happy New Year. Dwayne, if we come in with the same side, God help us. We can't come in with the same side. Travis Head's got to come in. Uh, I like Green shall come in. Bolland shouldn't be dropped. I mean, he was very sparing. I mean, Pat Cummings, it doesn't matter if Pat has a spell. He could have a day off. and uh, He was very costly. So, you know. So you, you dropped a... the captain, Margaret? Yep, yep, Definitely. Definitely on the on the on his bike. Wouldn't hurt him to have a spell. Coming. What about the spin uh, uh, options? Are you, are you a Murphy fan or are you dropping Lyme? Who do you like there? Well, how could you drop young Murphy when he got seven wickets? 
that would be an insult to him. Uh, it wouldn't hurt for Lyon to have a spell either. I mean, he's done a great, mighty job, and his turn will come again. But you know what? We've got to try and win the next game, and we've got to pick the best side. And at the moment, they haven't got the best side. If they're going to go with the same one that went in, oh, God help us, Travis Head's got to go in. There are a lot of and who are you dropping for him? Are you sticking with Dave Warner or are you dropping someone else? Uh, well, I don't know who else to drop. Well, I'm very sad to say Davey Warner should have a spell too. You know, we've got to do something drastic because at the moment we are, we are on skid row and it's horrible. It's horrible to watch. I was sick watching it the other day. It was terrible. Shocking cricket. Margaret, Terrible, great, the worst side great I've ever seen go in. The worst side you've ever seen? You've watched a few. The, I think so. I didn't, I didn't even like uh, 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 the other guy, uh, Hanscom. I mean, I know he, did, he didn't do too bad, but, oh, God, really, you know. I don't know. I'll be happy when Hazelwood gets back. I like him. I miss him. Anyway, that's how are your blues going to go, the... Margaret? Before we let you go, how are your blues oh, going to go? Before I let you go, I think they're going very well, and I'm looking forward to seeing them. I'm really looking forward to seeing them. What, Dwayne, I was laughing when you were talking about the umpires in the old days. We they nearly ate them. <laughs> they used to escort them up with horses, horseback. The police used to escort them up with horse. They get them in the middle and barricade them in so they couldn't, people couldn't get to them. They used to throw everything at them. Everything they had in their hands, they'd throw over the fence. No, you know, it makes me laugh when they talk about the umpires. They did it in the old days, don't worry. Nearly ate them. Great to have you, Margaret. Always good to hear your voice. Uh, great to hear you're in good spirits for 2023. And uh, you know the number. Give us a call any time. The one and only Margaret from Sunbury joining us. Your calls after the break if you want to join us. one 736 The open line is brought to us by Werribee Kia. Werribee Kia awarded National Kia Car Dealer of the Year. Werribee Kia makes buying cars easy. Is it my imagination? Michael Kasserowitz seemed to back me up. Has T20 kind of ruined the old test cricket mentality that we're just going to bat for three days? I know they're more aggressive and we want more results and to be more attacking because... It's more fun to be entertaining, but there's something to be said for those guys who just occupied the crease, and maybe that's one of the issues that T20's changed in Test cricket. We don't have those guys occupying the crease as much anymore, but maybe the old draws were boring. But we do seem to have less draws, don't we? one 736 the open line. Want great value on mobile quality fuel? Download the My 7-Eleven fuel price lock to start your savings adventure. Savings not guaranteed. Visit 7-Eleven.com.au for T's and C's. Breakfast on SEM. Swan CEO Tom Harley was our feature guest. Your name still keeps coming up as a possible AFL CEO. Where's it all landing? I was approached to be in. Heap of texts have come through today. Thanks for taking the time to send through a text. Let me race through a heap of them. A few on Margaret. Thanks for the smile, Margaret. You always make me smile. Dan from Newport. Uh, Dwayne, when the AFL season starts, can you promise me you will introduce a no-umpire criticising day? Take away supporters' platform for criticising umpires for their team's crap performance? Uh, You're right. It's become so predictable and boring, it's doing my head in. And at the end of the game, 
the result is the result. Anticipating your confirmation on this, Paul. Uh, Paul, I cannot confirm that, no. It'll be midday madness, as normal. You call, you get on. And uh, if you want to call about the umpiring, that's fine. I just reckon the umpiring hasn't changed, hasn't got any better, hasn't got any worse. It was the same with the one-umpire system as with the two-umpire system and the three-umpire system. There's always been bad decisions, and there will be bad decisions with the four-umpire system. And if you want to blame the umpires on a Monday, like we could have done for the last 25 years, 50 years, then that's still going to be the opportunity. Midday madness. I'll be taking your calls. Uh, anything you'd like to call about. So, no, I'm not going to bar a particular line of calls in 2023. That's not the mode of the show. Margaret needs a weekly segment. That's another text that's come through. Margaret is on point. Uh, same side, please. Let them face the music. Mortimer in Cranbourne North. Margaret should be a selector. Uh, that's from Michael. Margaret knows her cricket. That's from Shane. Uh, you'll never get enough consistency to satisfy anyone. Three-quarters of umpires, different interpretations, decisions made in split seconds. No slow-mo replays for the umpires to view. Thanks for that, Paul. Uh, people won't even notice there are four umpires, but fans will continue to bellyache over decisions and no decisions, um, known decisions because they watch the game through their biased eye shadow. Um, it's a non-issue. Ross, and I do agree. I think it's a storm in a teacup. We're trying to rev this hole. The umpires are going to get it wrong thing before the season even starts. And, yeah, I don't think we should be. Here's another one. Uh, four umpires should be celebrated. It's going to make the better players go about their roles less unrestrained and should almost make the tagger obsolete. That's if they actually start paying holding the man rule. And I'm agreeing with you on that. If they've got a clearer vision of a decision, they'll be able to make a better call, especially if they're less fatigued. I'm with you, Duano, on the glass half full when it comes to the four umpires. I presume... Your glass is half full of milk. Uh, thanks for that as well. Keep your text coming through. Uh, more text coming through on Margaret. Margaret needs a weekly segment. Uh, thanks for that. Uh, every sport has issues with umpiring. You can't fix human error. Well, at least with the four-umpire option, the AFL's trying to reduce human error. They're at least trying something because umpiring hasn't really improved in 20 years. It hasn't gone, got any worse, I don't think, but... There's an opportunity for them to try something to improve it. Correct. Keep the umpires in the one spot on the ground all game. Uh, another one, anything that helps us avoid repeating the mistakes made by the worst umpire grand final of all time, 2016. Um, thanks for that. They could make the umpires 100% full-time professionals. That's come through as well. Uh, so many texts, uh, so little time today on that open line. Brought to us by 40 Winks and Temper, T-E-M-P-U-R, Mattresses. And pillows like no other get your unique bed match profile and find the right bed for you. 40 Winks, serious about sleep. So SEN's greatest AFL team since 2000 tournament continues today. It's all thanks to Werribee Care. You can head to the SEN Twitter page and cast your vote on today's matchups as we work our way over the next few weeks toward the naming of the greatest AFL team of the last 23 years. So head to the SEN social media channels to check out the full bracket of matchups. So yesterday's results... Hawthorne's 2015 Premiership team defeated Sydney's 2005 Premiership team. Richmond's 2019 Premiership team defeated Port Adelaide's 2002 side. Uh, interestingly, Geelong's 2008 Grand Final losing side defeated Collingwood's 2010 Premiership side. So here we are. Today's marquee matchup: Geelong's 2022 Premiership side. So last year's Geelong Premiership side against the West Coast's. 2018 Premiership team. And we've got a round of golf for you 
and a mate at the magnificent St Andrews Beach Golf Course to give away, valued at $210, on 307-36-736. Who would win if they went head-to-head? Geelong's 2022 Premiership side or the West Coast 2018 Premiership side? So Geelong's Premiership team last year, from the back line, De Koning, Jack Henry, Collard Jasney, halfbacks, Stewart, Tui, and Jed Buse. Centre line, Blitzhaus, Mark O'Connor, Mitch Duncan. Uh, the half forward line, Brad Close, Jeremy Cameron, Isaac Smith. Forward line, Tyson Stengel, Tom Hawkins, Gary Rowan. The Rucks, Reece Stanley, Patrick Dangerfield, Cam Guthrie. The interchange, Joel Selwood, arguably the best grand final interchange player of all time. Tom Atkins, Grian Myers, and Zach Guthrie. So that's Geelong's team as it went into that grand final with. And we're up against the West Coast Eagles Premiership team of 2018. one 736 West Coast Eagles 2018 Premiers. From the back line, Hearn, Barras, Schofield. Halfbacks, Cole, McGovern, Jetta. Centre line, Redden, Yo, Marston. Half forwards, Hutchings, Darling, Lacra. Forward line, Rioli, Kennedy, Cripps. Rucks, Lysette, Chewy, and Sheed. Interchange, Ryan, Duggan, Venables, and Vardy. A greatest modern day team competition brought to us by Werribee Kia. Who would win if the two teams went head-to-head? The West Coast Eagles Premiership winning 2018 team or Geelong's Premiership team from last year. We've got a round of golf for you and a mate at the magnificent St Andrews Beach Golf Course to give away valid $210. If you want to jump on the line and give us your thoughts as to who would win and why, a couple of texts have come through. A high pipe. Geelong would win in the canter. Just had class and experience on every line along with far more big game players. Gary in Essendon, thanks for that. Uh, appreciate your text. Um, Geelong backline, too small to mind Darling and Kennedy. So there's a thought the other way as well. Um, so many coming through on the umpiring as well. All umpires should have played at least 100 senior grade games to qualify. Ideally, they need to know how the game works. Uh, Yarra Valley Rod, thanks for that. Uh, Dwayne, there will always be howlers of decisions from umps. Doesn't matter if there's one or 100 umpires on the field. Um, it's human error, and that's exactly right. I don't think it's changed from the one-umpire system to the two-umpire to the three to the four to the five. Um, Dwayne, I know you love Geelong, but surely Ted Hopkins is the best grand final interchange of all time. Greg from Geelong, yeah, I appreciate that. In terms of quality of player starting on the bench, um, he's got to be up there, Joel Selwood. Uh, get Margaret on the selection panel uh, for the rest of the series. Dave from Bunbury. Uh, thanks for that. Had quite a few coming through off the back of Leonard Copeland on the program saying bring back the Melbourne Tigers when the NBL continues to expand. Um, so many texts on that. One from Gia uh, confirming that he thinks that's a good idea as well. And one here. Nice to hear that someone else thinks T20 has ruined players. I said it years ago. You can blame Maxwell and the like. And T20 has changed the batter's mindset. And Maybe there is less batters coming through that just want to occupy the crease for two days, even if they only score 50 doing it. Uh, the high mark was degraded as soon as Howe missed out on a mark of the year, not once but twice. Thanks for that. You certainly don't have to hold a mark as uh, short a time as Gary Ablett held his mark of the year all those years ago. Keep your text coming through. Uh, one here. Any chance of getting Margaret in the commentary box for a Carlton game? it would make good listening. Appreciate those texts. On that text machine number 04339811116, brought to us by 40 Winks and Temper. Hey, quick plug for Sammy Edmund. 
You can tune in Sunday morning at 10 a.m. for This Is Your Journey. Sammy Edmund speaking with soccer commentator Robbie Thompson. Thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals celebrating lives. And whilst we're giving you a bit of love to Tobin Brothers Funerals, time to celebrate some lives and birthdays. Thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals. You can visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals celebrating lives. Australian Olympic legend Kathy Freeman turns 50 years old today. So congratulations to you, Kathy, one of our all-time, if not all-time greats, uh, our greatest. Uh, today also marks the 21st anniversary of Steve Bradbury's iconic speed skating gold medal at the 2002 Winter Olympics at Salt Lake City, one that we will never, ever forget. Tobin Brothers Funerals, a family-owned business since 1934. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Dwayne's vote for Master Builders Victoria, by the way, get expert legal advice. Become a Master Builders Victoria member today. And for Athena Home Loans, pay down your home loan faster with Athena. A few on the text as well, talking a little bit about what Tom Harley had to say on the breakfast show earlier today, the Sydney Swans CEO. If you missed it, um, I do want to back over a bit of it. Tom Harley, it sounds like he's still a contender for the AFL's CEO role to replace Gil McLaughlin. They asked him where that's at today. Tom didn't want to really weigh into it, but he did weigh into it by saying he's waiting to hear... What's going on as well? Here's Tom Harley from Breakfast. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a bit unfair to talk about the process. And, and I did say, oh, it was probably sort of nine months or so ago, um, I was approached to be involved at the start and I'm unfair to comment on, on where it sits now. But I, I think, you know, firstly, absolutely laser-focused on, on the swans at the moment. Um, enjoyed that interaction um, that I've had. Uh, but uh, I think for, for everyone's sake, it would be good to have it resolved. Um, certainly through the footy department, I think, you know, there's a CEO role that's obviously yeah. vacant, but it's a flow on to the head of footy, which has now been vacant since Brad took the role at Essendon. I think that's, uh, you know, there's, there's emergency about these appointments at the moment. Tom Harley on the CEO role. He was also asked about Tasmania, and he was asked by the breakfast team today about whether having great facilities, so the Swans have just unveiled this new Wizbang facility right next to the SCG. So they've got arguably the best facilities in the AFL now. And by having the best facilities, they're going to be able to attract more players. And player attention is not an issue for them anymore in Sydney, even though it might be seen as as an impediment for the Giants to retain players. Well, Tom Harley was asked about Tasmania, and his answer on Tasmania, suggesting it will happen, but with a stadium, kind of gives me the indicator that they, I think they do need a stadium, Tasmania. I thought they needed a new stadium in Hobart anyway, but it reinforces the fact that you can't just put a couple of, you know, buildings tucked in behind Bell Reef and say, here's your change rooms and your gym, boys and girls. I think you do need the best facilities to be playing in in 2027 when you come into the competition because that will stop any player retention uh, issues for Tasmania like... It stopped for a number of teams. It was the big impediment for the Gold Coast when they came in, the fact that they could sell the city of the Gold Coast to come and play out, but they couldn't sell their facilities. They were terrible. They were the worst in the AFL. You don't want Tassie coming in in the same circumstance. Here's Tom Harley talking about Tassie coming in. Yeah, I, I think it's, it's looking really positive. As I understand it, the stadium piece is, is the, the really important part and um, not privy to discussions as to how that will be funded. But um, as a club, we've, you know, we've, we've been, we are supportive of the team in Tasmania on the, pro, on the proviso that, it, that it's given the best opportunity to thrive. And, and, and I think if we can tick all of those boxes, and, and as I understand it, it's, it's basically there, um, I think it's a great thing for footy and, 
Um, you know, it's a, we all know the romanticism about Tasmania, but um, you know, I, I don't. I'm in probably in a slightly different school of thought when it comes to player retention and attraction. I, I don't think they'll have an issue with that. Um, but how it impacts the rest of the teams with regards to list build is obviously a key watch for the existing club. So player retention. So here's Tom Harley talking about how facilities do attract players. Do you reckon it helps to attract players to a club when you've got facilities like this? Yeah, I, I, I can only assume so, Tim. Um, and that's just from talking to players. And, and obviously when you hear about players move from clubs and uh, we haven't had that leave it a really poor. We sell the city really hard. We think mm. it's a fantastic place to live and play football. So um, time will tell. But certainly when it comes to retaining talent, that's what, what's been our focus over the last couple of years. And to have this on the horizon um, has been a, a really strong selling point. And uh, I know the players, both men and women, um, are really enjoying the facility. Tom Harley on that. And that does reinforce in my mind that you do, you can't make the same mistake as the Gold Coast and the AFL made with the Gold Coast. And that is not have great facilities when you start that team. Tassie, they need the best facilities. And in 2027, when the players do go down there or 2028 for their first season, they've got to get there saying, we've got the best in Australia down here. So we're not going anywhere in a hurry. It's been great to have your company today for Dwayne's World for Master Builders Victoria. Get expert legal advice. Become a Master Builders Victoria member today. And for Athena Home Loans, pay down your home loan faster with Athena. Got a couple of minutes if you've got a late lost in the wash. You can jump on the line right now, one three hundred seven three six seven three six. That open line brought to us by Werribee Lost in the wash, something we should have got to by now. Haven't got around to it. Only a couple of minutes to go before I'm handing over to Andy and Gazing. By the way, I'm not on tomorrow or Monday. SEN Test Cricket coming your way tomorrow at this time slot. And Monday, or for the next four days at least, we hope, if not for the next five days, SEN's coverage starts tomorrow live from Delhi. Jared Waitley, Tasha Bogley. Adam Collins, uh, Ravi Shastri, Barat Sundarayson, Pete Lawler, Michael Kasperitz as well among the team. So uh, make sure you're tuning in tomorrow. I won't be here, but the full team will be uh, bringing you day one of the second test from Delhi. Lost in the wash. Uh, one thing we should have got to today but haven't got to, if you're an EPL fan or just a soccer fan, you probably know already, Manchester City defeated Arsenal this morning to go to the top of the Premier League table. So Arsenal have been leading the Premier League standings for quite a while now. They had a little slip-up a couple of days ago when they drew, and Man City defeated them today 3-1. So a little bit of a change-up in the top order in the EPL. Uh, Something else that has been thrown around that I haven't got to, but I'm sure that it's been brought to your attention. If not, here it is. Tim Watson. So Tim Watson and Gary Lyon now have a new podcast. It's called The Ramble. It's available now in your podcast app on sen.com.au. Tim Watson having a little talk to Gary Lyon about his relationship with James Hurd, which has been talked about a bit. Here's Tim. I don't have any ill feeling towards James Hurd. Absolutely none. We don't have a relationship, though. We're not best mates. We're not best friends. And we were sort of, we were friendlier back in the day. But, you know, like this whole thing happened and um, I've reached out to him. I've reached out to Bomber. And, you know, like, and I understand people are moving through this emotionally and mentally in their own time, in their own way. And I respect that. But I'd be only too happy to ever sit down and have a conversation with him. My opinion about him being the next coach of Essendon had nothing to do with whatever happened during that Asada period. It had nothing to do with that. I just didn't think that he was the right person for this time and the club needed to move forward, which was as simple as that. 
There it is, Tim Watson on their The Ramble podcast, which you can now download anytime you like. It's once a week. It's going to drop. Uh, by the way, you can podcast Wayne's World as well if you like. Uh, all of our interviews are there on the podcast individually, like our chat with Leonard Copeland and Michael Kasselwitz earlier today. But you can download the whole Dwayne's World show anytime you like and have a listen to it in full. Dan in Caulfield's got a lost in the wash before I hand over to Andy and Gazy. Welcome to you, Dan. Hey, Dwayne. Thanks for taking the call. Uh, I just wanted to give a shout-out to Table Tennis Australia, who announced last week that they've got the highest ever participation at a competitive level, um, and it's about 20% higher than pre-COVID levels. So, good for them. Wouldn't be too many people in Australia that haven't played table tennis at some stage, Dan, would there? Uh, I reckon if, you, if you've ever played beer pong, you've probably played table tennis as well. They go hand in hand on the same table. So, yeah, I, I reckon most people would have played. But they, I think they said about 200,000 uh, people played in 2022, whether that's through competitive uh, competitions, uh, schools and, and other stuff they do. Great call, Dan. Um, yeah, even if you put a makeshift net over your kitchen table, that counts. You don't have to have had the professional table tennis table brought into your lounge room uh, or your pool room if you're lucky enough. But if you're like me and you just stretch the net across your kitchen table, um, it was always great fun with the kids uh, and your mum and dad. Hold the line, got something for you. You've got a round of golf for you and a mate at the magnificent St Andrews Beach Golf Course. So that's valued at $210. Great to have St Andrews Beach on with us on Dwayne's World and on SEN across the last couple of weeks. So uh, that's a ripper prize. You'll love it at St Andrews Beach. It's a fantastic place to go and play some golf down in Caulfield. Hold the line. We'll let you know how we can get that to you. Uh, Don't forget in the NBL tonight, well, the Kings defeated Cairns last night. A big win by their core players like Xavier Cooks in the second half, even though they were outplayed in the first half. And tonight, Tasmania hosting New Zealand tonight in Tasmania. A couple of quick texts before I say farewell. Uh, Dwayne, it's time for robo-umps. Surely AI could do a better job. Uh, We might get there eventually. Maybe not in your and my lifetime, but uh, maybe some form of AI umpiring might be coming in. Uh, You'll be back Monday, Dwayne. It'll be all over by Sunday. Yarra Valley, right? I'm a bit more confident than you, uh, but thanks for that. Um, Arsenal have given up an eight-point lead in three weeks. Yeah, it's been a big change up there. Uh, all these people commenting on umpiring remind me of the accountants and lawyers on golf club committees that think they can grow grass <laughs> better than the course superintendent. Uh, Jeff, thanks for that text as well. Um, and one here, how many state games did you play, Dwayne? I remember being at Football Park when the West Australian umpire paid holding the ball against Bruce Lindsay. Uh, it was the worst decision in the 150 years of football. Yeah, I'm sure if you go back 50, 60, 70 there's, there's always a decision that somebody's going to think was the worst decision in 150 years of football. I was lucky enough to play for the state a few times, uh, including against WA. So, uh, and Football Park was, was such a brilliant cauldron of footy for State of Origin footy against WA or uh, against the, the great Victorian teams. Thanks to all of you who took the time to send through a text today. really appreciate how many texts have come through this week. It seems like we've had a record amount of texts. And call-wise... It's been another crazy day. In fact, we've cleared a bit more of the show. I don't know if you've noticed, but we've cleared a bit more of the show this year to allow more calls to come through, especially in the first couple of hours of the program. So, yeah, Midday Madness, we back next week. Love your calls. It's always your show. You call, you get on. So put that number in your phone and let's have a chat next week. Stick around. Andy and Gazy next.